The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is The Customer Edge with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo, provide a phenomenal customer experience, and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 and if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place, and so are we. Delighted to be back on our The Customer Edge with Game Changers radio. For keeping track, it's episode number 11 in this series, and let's get started. The buzz today is having it their way. No, it's not a burger commercial. Let me explain. If you're seeing a transformation in your relationship with your customers, your prospects, you're not alone. Don't think something odd is happening. It's a growing trend. Why? Because digital transformation is empowering today's consumers worldwide, everywhere, by arming them with the information, the insights, and the power to control their experiences with your products, your services, your company, and everybody else's. That means customers don't have to follow that straight and narrow linear customer journey path anymore. Forget about the marketing funnel. It's going to be a whole new experience. They could redesign that path whenever they want to research products and solutions. They'll do it their way. Whenever they want to make a purchase decision, think about all the channels they have to choose from. And whenever they're looking for post-sale support, if they don't get it, you know where they could end up and you know what could happen to you. So lots of channels, lots of opportunities. The big question on the table is, are you giving them a great experience on every channel every time? We have a panel of experts. I'm delighted to welcome back our three experts from two weeks ago. We're just let me summarize who's on the panel. We have Craig Borowski from Software Advice back with us. We have Terry Sun from White Rhino back and Ryan O'Neill from SAP. So I'm delighted. This is actually part two. We're calling this episode The Modern customer journey, having it their way, part two. Let me get started by introducing Craig properly. Craig Borowski at Software Advice. Craig sent me the following quote from David Packard, co-founder of HP. Here we go. Marketing is too important to be left to the marketing department. Hmm. Welcome back, Craig. How are you today? I'm doing well, Bonnie. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. We are too. So talk to me. How do we get this Packard quote in here? How does it relate to our having it their way customer journey? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I, I chuckled when I read this. I think it's a great sort of tongue-in-cheek comment, um, but I think it also speaks pretty well to what we're, uh, the topic of today's discussion, um, primarily that marketing really isn't the responsibility of one particular department, but rather it's the responsibility of every interaction a company has with a customer. Um, so really, each interaction, each time a customer makes any sort of contact with a company, they're receiving a marketing message. So whether that's from customer service or pre-sales, uh, anywhere along that funnel, uh, they're receiving 
a message from that company. Um, and that's something that companies are increasingly aware of. Uh, thought it was interesting to see that uh, David Packard was on to this many, many years ago. Very interesting. And, and Craig, this opens up the question of who is keeping an eye on marketing? Whose job is it really anyway? And how many, you know, the old expression, I'm sure you've heard of it, although you're probably too young to remember it firsthand. Too many cooks can spoil the broth. Too many cooks in that kitchen. So what does this say for the marketing department? They're, they're doing what they're doing, but so is everybody else doing something to impact that experience and that impression. This sounds to me like it's very complicated to be in marketing today and control things. What do you think? Uh, I agree. It is complicated. Um, and I think what you have to sort of accept is that flexibility is kind of the name of the game. Uh, it's going to vary from company to company, from vertical to vertical, um, depending on you know a whole variety of factors. Uh, but you're right, there's no simple answer. And I think a lot of marketing departments are um, kind of reassessing their role in, in the modern customer journey. Good points. Thank you, Craig, and welcome back. And let's turn to our second panelist, welcoming back Terry Sun at White Rhino. And Terry sent me a wonderful quote from Dr. Seuss. I love this. Think left and think right. Think low and think high. Oh, the thinks you can think up if only you try. I love Dr. Seuss. Thanks for the memories. Terry Sun, how are you today? I'm excellent. Thanks for having me back. Delighted to have you talk to me. How did Dr. Seuss make his way onto Game Changers Radio? This is a good one. Yeah, it is. Well, if only he knew he was talking about modern marketing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think I think it's a perfect representation of how marketers really need to think today about that modern customer journey. Um, our audiences have this really serious case of what I call device ADD. Uh, there's actually a great statistic from from Google that when people are watching TV, most are using a mobile device at the same time, and their eyes switch between the TV and that mobile screen every five seconds. So um, mm. it's really hard to get, get people's attentions, and we're really bombarding them with um, so much content, so many ads. Um, there's, there's stats out there. The average uh, person is being being bombarded with about 5,000 ads per day, and it's probably debatable what that number is, but it's certainly a a lot of ads that people are seeing. And so the power has really shifted into the hands of our audience. They're they're the ones that are in control, and we have to um, stop marketing to them in these ways that interrupt their flow, and instead we need to really learn how to uh, get their attention more organically without interrupting their path. And and so that's what inbound marketing is, is really all about, um, this idea of um, having your audience find you, and I think if we follow Dr. Seuss's advice, then we our audiences um, wherever they they find us, and, and make sure that we're giving them the right content um, when they're coming uh, coming in contact with us. Thank you, Terry. Good insights. Uh, you made me think about how I watch TV, and more and more I'm, I'm too busy to watch a show when it's live or the first time. So I DVR it, of course. Thank goodness for four or five shows at a time DVRs. Yes, we all know what a luxury that is. It's actually not a luxury anymore. It's an expectation. And then I'll go through, and, and as I'm, Terry, it's funny, as I'm fast-forwarding through the commercials, I'm watching this fast-forward. And if a face looks familiar or a product looks interesting or something looks out of place, I will stop forwarding, I'll go back and I'll find that ad and I will watch it to see what it was that caught my brain's attention. So I'm selectively watching the commercials that I'm trying to get rid of. Interesting? 
Yeah, yeah. I think uh, today's consumer, they're, they're very smart, they're very savvy, and, uh, and as marketers, we, we have to be on top of that and, and make sure that we're keeping up with them. Yep, that's right. So thank you very much, Terry Sun. And let's turn to our third panelist. It's Ryan O'Neill at SAP. And Ryan sent me a quote from somebody's nine-year-old boy who was watching kids' ads on TV shows. And this nine-year-old boy, who may not remain nameless much longer, <laughs> said, man, they keep trying to impress me. Boy, talk about a smart consumer. Welcome, Ryan O'Neill. How are you today? I'm doing really well. Thank you. And actually, that same kind of random nine-year-old, I'll say, um, said something yesterday <laughs> that relates to Terry's quote and what she was talking about, the Google research. And um, he was in the living room, had, okay, so it's my nine-year-old kid. Um, he's in the living room, <laughs> he's got his, uh, his iPad and the TV is on, so I walk over to turn the TV off. And he says, no, 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 keep the TV on. And I said, you're playing your iPad, well, why would you need the TV on? He says, in case I get bored. And I was like, wow. So that, that six-second, you know, attention span that we're talking about, yeah. he, he needed a backup plan in case his, his game on his iPad get, got boring at any particular moment. I actually think what he really was saying is he needed, he needed the option to take a break from the iPad, and, and that was his way mm-hmm. to kind of communicate that. But, but the break would have only been 10 or 15 seconds, long enough to shift his focus to something else and then come back. It's, it's really interesting because I think um, these are the future consumers, right? Um, Absolutely. He may already be a consumer, depending on what he says when you take him to Toys R Us. Like, Daddy, Daddy, we're not going home until I get that. that yeah, that is true. <laughs> and actually, it was interesting, because so the quote, I, I thought the best way to do is kind of break it down. So as, as he said this quote, man, they keep trying to impress me, there was a sense of frustration in it, which was interesting to me as a marketer. I, I'm thinking why, you know, I'm kind of sensing, okay, he's he's processing something here. So the way I break this down is he says the word man, which in my mind was he, he's constantly being bombarded. He's kind of frustrated with this idea that there's another commercial on. Um, he says they keep. So he, he recognizes that this is a constant, consistent thing that's happening to him. And um, maybe that's a good or maybe that's a bad thing. It, it really depends. And then he says trying to. So it's interesting. He, he hasn't said, man, they keep impressing me. He said, mm-hmm. man, they keep trying to impress me. And, um, and that means we still have work to do, right? For, it, for whatever commercial he was watching at the time, they hadn't convinced him yet. And then the final component is impress me. So it was interesting because as I thought about that, he definitely identified that, yes, this was directed towards me. If it was a, let's just say if it was a commercial for some kind of adult product or something like that, he, would, he wouldn't have said this phrase, but he realized this was directed towards him and they were wanting him to pay attention to it. Um, so he, he recognized they were talking to him, so it was trying to be relevant. Um, and then that the ultimate goal of the commercial was to make him like them or the product that they were advertising. So when I broke it all down, I really thought it was relevant to the conversation we're going to be talking about today and, and um, you know, the distraction component to it as another layer. But um, no, I thought it was a relevant quote, so... I know it's a relevant quote, and I love the way you broke it down. I have a feeling like father, like son, and my only question is, are you sure he's only nine years old? It, it's actually interesting. I was talking to uh, another adult yesterday, and he was there with me, and they started asking him questions, and they, were, and they made the comment that, oh, my gosh, he is, he's only nine. He seems so mature. For some reason, I get that comment for both my kids, which I take it as a compliment, <laughs> I guess, but... Um, 
It is. It is. They're polished, no. I guess. That, that's, that's nice. <laughs> Congratulations to you. <laughs> no, that, that was quite an interesting quote, and I'm so glad you brought it to us. We love originals. We've never had anybody's child's quote before on our shows, but anybody is welcome. So thank you very much and good company. So you know what's going to happen now. I have a question for the panel. Craig Borowski, you're a pro at this already. Where are you calling from? What time of day is it? And what's in your cup? Or what are you thinking about drinking after the show? Craig? Well, I am calling from Austin, Texas. It's a bright, sunny day, about 60 degrees, and we're thankful for that. Uh, it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and I'm drinking the same thing I was last time, which is loose green tea. Um, actually, I had a funny comment earlier. Um, this is kind of loose-leaf green tea, and I have it in a clear glass. Coworker noticed it and said it looked like I was drinking spinach, um, which is... <laughs> Kind of an odd comment, but, you know, I've been drinking this stuff for years, and I think for the first time it, it's starting to taste a little bit like spinach. So kind of <laughs> the, the power of suggestion at work, maybe. Oh, dear. How's that for marketing? <laughs> We're going to have to get <laughs> no. that tea company, tea company to put a, a very specific suggestive picture, not broccoli, not spinach, <laughs> not any other vegetable on the package so that you're not thinking. Very, very interesting. Thank you, Craig. And Terry Sun, where are you? What time of day is it? And what are you drinking? I'm located in sunny San Diego, and it's uh, just after 12 o'clock here. I'm drinking a uh, grapefruit-flavored Perrier. Uh, it has a really slight hint of, of flavor without being too overwhelming. And it was actually my go-to drink when I was pregnant with my son, who's now almost a year. Um, and I just became addicted to it. And I, I actually buy the grocery store out. They, they only carry about four boxes at a time. So um, I, every time I go to the store, I buy them out of it. And sometimes I go to multiple stores to stock up. <laughs> Ah, there's there's the raider. Now they're going to know who you are. Yeah. Well, that's very interesting. I do the same thing with organic quinoa flour. I only have one grocery store that sells it at a reasonable price, and whenever they're out, they stock it, and I buy everything they have. So there, there's another little little bit of healthy. I can't drink it, but I can sure bake good stuff with it. Thank you, Terry. And Ryan O'Neill, where are you time of day, and what's in your cup? I'm probably a pretty good stone's throw from uh, from Craig, actually. I'm I'm in Dallas. And uh, it is 2.15, and it's uh, not as balmy, but uh, 51 degrees today. So we're grateful for the warmth and not the, the cold and the snow that most of the other countries is getting right now. And my cup is very simple today. I'm sticking with water. I've challenged myself to get a full day's worth of water in. So um, there you go. No mixer, no flavoring, just, just good old water. What a strong constitution you have. What's your son drinking right now? That's what I'd really like to know. What is the nine-year-old saying? Oh, Dad, can't you have a little bit of this? It tastes so much better. Thank you. Glad you're healthy, Ryan O'Neill. Guess what? We are healthy. We're right on time. It's 3.15 here in New York where I'm broadcasting from, and we're going to take our first break. So you want to stick around for this great topic, the modern customer journey, having it their way, part two. Back with me are Craig Borowski at Software Advice, Terry Sun at White Rhino, Ryan O'Neill at SA. I'm still Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to be right after the show. You know what happens. We're going to go out on break and have a little whispering going on behind the scenes. And when we come back, Craig is going to start off our roundtable for 30 minutes nonstop with something absolutely amazing. I can promise you that. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back. Michael out. We're 
Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. A global revolution is taking place, shaking the very foundation upon which all enterprises are built. This revolution is led by today's digitally empowered consumers and commercial buyers. They don't see our companies through a channel-focused lens. They look for and expect one experience, irrespective of the channel. Join us to explore insights, information, and ideas from sales, customer service, and marketing experts around the globe. Let's embrace the challenge of engaging customers in this new age. The Customer Edge with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. listening to The Customer Edge with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to The Customer Edge with Game Changers. We're back, and we're ready to launch our roundtable 30 minutes nonstop, and I know my panel can do it without blinking an eye. We're going to start off with Craig Borowski. Craig, you sent me in your notes before the show an interesting comment. Here we're talking about this new version, this new circuitous, no longer linear customer journey, and you started out with this note. You say, from Mad Men to mad customers yelling on Yelp. And then you go on, traditionally, marketing revolved largely around advertising. And by that, I mean literal advertisements like TV, billboards, magazines, and newspapers. And companies had control over their messages. No longer. Craig, why don't you start us off, please? Sure. Thank you, Bonnie. Um, I think, you know, last time we looked at this topic, we kind of opened by examining it from a customer's point of view, talking about how the digital age has really empowered customers to make their voices heard. Um, this this comment I have here was really trying to look at it from the other side of the table or the other side of the billboard, what have you, um, from the marketing department's perspective. Um, kind of looking at it historically, the the point I was trying to make here was that companies used to have much more control over the marketing messages that reached the public. They could pretty much decide what sort of image they wanted to associate with the product, uh, you know, what sorts of feelings they'd try to invoke in the audience. And that's still true, though not nearly as true as it used to be, um, because so many people turn to uh, the online world when they're looking for opinions and reviews and thoughts and experiences people have with products and services. And what that means for companies is they've they've lost a little bit of that control. Um, you can have one angry customer who goes on a rant online, and thanks to the the power of viral marketing, it, it could take off and become you know an overnight sensation. And suddenly you've got this company scrambling uh, for damage control because of this uh, incidental marketing message that they certainly didn't intend to get out, but did nevertheless. Uh, so that's one of the big challenges that companies are facing. They're trying to find out how to, first of all, monitor the messages that are being presented online, uh, 
um, but also how to shape them and uh, manage them and ideally use them to their advantage. Because at the same time, while it can be uh, you know, a challenge to address unhappy customers, you also have the, the benefit of uh, happy customers who are thrilled with the mm-hmm. product and thrilled with the service and post about it every day on their Facebook. So you have companies kind of looking at this, trying to figure out the best way to, to leverage this sort of organic messaging that's happening online. Um, and I think we're still in the early days of this. A lot of, a lot of companies are doing it very well, uh, particularly the larger companies that have had more time and, and money devoted to, to figuring this out. Um, but I think we see, we see improvements every day. So I think it's pretty clear what direction we're headed in. Thank you, Craig. It makes me think of the tail wagging the dog. A company is very often probably tempted to become reactive, whereas they need to take a step back and be proactive so whatever's negative doesn't get out there the next time and they have to answer it in a, in a well-spoken way. And it gives you actually live customer research in the places you least expected it. Who would have thought about this five, ten years ago, that customers would be talking to you and you don't really know who they are, where they're coming from, but they're out there almost machine gunning you with their ver- their version and their vision of how well you're doing. Terry Sun, chime in here. Thoughts? Yeah, it's funny. It reminds me of a conversation I had uh, the other week with my husband, who's an engineer, and uh, he was asking me about why brands use Twitter and, you know, why do you have to respond to that stuff? And I really explained to him that it's, it's table stakes at this point. You, you know, you have to be out there where customers are voicing their opinions about your brand. Um, otherwise, you're, you're not going to succeed. So, uh, you know, brands that don't have a strategy in place for addressing and managing and overseeing those, those types of conversations, um, you know, they better, they better get in shape and, and get some strategies on, on the table. Thank you. Ryan O'Neill, thoughts? Yeah, the thing that, that stands out for me is um, while I think it's, we can look at this problem as kind of a tactical problem and we have to figure out, I mean, there is some strategy, but really how do we tactically respond to each one of these things and which ones do we respond to and which ones do we not and if it's positive or negative and those things. And I, you know, I think there's some uh, uh, compliance that we have to have in place for that. But what, what's really interesting to me is that it, it's actually um, a representation of a company's maturity in customer engagement, customer service. Mm-hmm. It, it, as a consumer now, if I tweet a poor experience with a, co- with a company or a brand, if they respond back to me, I, they automatically have gained a certain level, um, a certain level on, my, on a maturity scale for their ability to, to have customer engagement or you know, customer service, um, successful customer service. So I think it's more than... I think ultimately it's just more than a tactical um, problem, like we just need to have a process in place to handle this. I think we have to look at it as really a, a brand-defining opportunity. And if you are not handling this appropriately as a company or a brand, then especially the younger generations will view you as a, uh, an old hat, essentially, an, an old brand or somebody who's not prepared to really provide the customer service that's required to have my business. Um, and I think if, if we look at it that way, then it kind of changes the, the perspective, I, I think, of the management team and the executives responsible for it. Good. Craig, you want to chime in since this was a point you introduced? Thoughts? Sure, yeah. I, I uh, agreed, especially there with, with Ryan's point about 
the importance of engagements. Uh, I think that's definitely central to a successful strategy um, online, particularly. Um, it's a, a term you hear a lot, I guess, thrown around engagements. What does it mean? Really, at a simple level, it's, it's simply responding to comments. Um, if someone takes the time and effort to post something to a company Facebook page, they don't like it if they don't get a response. You know, even getting a response that they don't want is much better than getting no response at all, generally. Um, and I think this kind of speaks to sort of the human level of all this. Um, people don't like to be ignored. It's really that mm -hmm. simple. Um, so I'd say a lot of companies that are wondering how to begin addressing all these issues, the first step is, as Ryan pointed out, just engage them. You know, if they say something, say something back. That's, that's really the beginning of the conversation, and it's a great, great place to begin. Thank you. Guess what? I want to go a little bit deeper into the idea of channels and social channels in particular. Terry Sun, you're up next on our roundtable. I'm looking at your notes you sent me before the show, and you have a section called The Right Content. And something caught my eye, Terry. You're talking about Gary Vaynerchuk. Uh, several years ago, I took the Social Media Success Summit, which is put on by Michael Stelzner and his merry band of very smart social media gurus. And when I was taking this this seminar, it was, uh, I think, a week-long, two or three sessions, 45-minute sessions a day for a week. It was very rich in content, very exciting. And Gary V was one of the presenters. So I'm looking at Terry's notes here, and she says, the idea of adapting your content based on social channel, was made popular by Gary Vaynerchuk in his book, Jab, 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 Right Hook. You say it's a great summer read. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it and how it relates to our topic of giving everybody the right content, the right engagement on every channel where they want to be. Terry, go ahead. Yeah, I think uh, Gary has a, a great quote in his book that really sums it up. He says, it's not just about de developing high-quality content. It's also about developing high-quality content that's perfectly adapted to specific social media platforms and mobile devices. And he was talking specifically about social media, but I think you can take what he's saying and, and apply it to anything. The, to be successful as a modern marketer today, you, you need to make sure that you're delivering the right content at the right time, but you also have to make sure that that content works for the channel that you're delivering it for. And and social media is certainly a good example of that. Um, you know, people use social media channels um, for very different reasons and often very personal reasons. They're, after all, they're, they're social sites, um, and, and people are social beings. And um, I think a good example is, is for myself when I use uh, LinkedIn um, and Twitter, I'm really using those for, for business. Um, but on Facebook, I, I keep things very personal. I don't, I don't connect with um, work colleagues on Facebook. I reserve that for close family and friends. And then on P Pinterest, I actually mix work and pleasure. Um, I have a variety of boards around user experience design, um, but I also have some boards for, for inspiration for my uh, uh, almost one-year-old's birthday party coming up in a, in a few months here. <laughs> So, uh, you know, it's, as marketers, it's, it's important to understand where, and, where someone's accessing your content and, and why they're using that channel and what's going to motivate them to, to interact with you and, and make sure you're not delivering a piece of content that's inappropriate um, for, for the channel that they're on. 
Terry, this sounds like so much work. It's not the way marketing used to be. You know that. If you, you had a website, if you were really savvy how many years ago, and you had a brochure, and maybe you added a blog, and maybe you had some, I don't know, some uh, something. Uh, you had a phone calling service. You had telemarketing, and people would walk in, and you'd show them something. You didn't have to pay attention to all these channels. Who's minding the store? Who has to do all this? Just briefly, Terry, and then we'll invite Ryan into the conversation. But who has to mind the right content for the right channel that's relevant, that's organic, that's a good experience, that's trustworthy producing. Talk to me. Yeah, it's it's true. It, it sounds like it's it's a lot of work, but uh, I think that's that's our jobs as, as marketers today. And uh, to Craig's point earlier, uh, marketing is becoming more cross-functional, and, and you can get a lot of support from, for instance, your sales team. They can help you understand how your uh, audience is maybe using these social channels so that you can understand what content would be relevant for them. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, I, I think it just takes a little bit of planning. Um, and if you do that upfront uh, strategy piece, and um, you, you can really, uh, you know, get to a place where then, then it's very easy to, to make sure that you're delivering that right content at the right time. And I think a really good place for, for marketers to start um, is to just look at maybe the top two to three uh, social channels that they want to target, that their audiences use most often, uh, and then just come up with a, uh, a, a uh, audience per- persona for each of those channels and, and start to think about, you know, why is someone accessing this channel? Is it, are they seeking uh, business networking, inspiration, social connections? Are they trying to find industry trends? And, and, you know, as you start to ask yourself those questions, you can really understand what type of content is going to be relevant there. And, and once you've sort of mapped that out into some personas, again, that can guide your, your strategy moving forward. Good guidance. Thank you. Ryan O'Neill, talk to us. A lot on the table here. I think, um, you know, I think this comes back to the big topic of big data and, and what do we do with all this information, the social chatter, the, the engagement through CRM, what customers are doing, how they're interacting, even down to, uh, you know, content analytics, uh, how they're interacting with documents, PDF files on our website and blog posts and things like that. Um, I think really it, it's, it's going to be two specialties are going to kind of come together and, uh, as marketing, as a marketing person. Um, I've always had an interest in analytics and, and kind of data-driven stuff. So um, I think that that's actually going to become more and more critical. And there's data scientists. They usually sit within a like, technology or IT organization. Um, and then you've got the, the marketing strategist. Those two people, if they are two people, they need to work very, very closely together. If, and maybe at some point in the future that, that those skills will actually be transferable or they'll be in, uh, there'll be a function of marketing as a whole, but um, I think that's important. And I, I, I think once you once you make that connection, then it's about using the data to find patterns. It's pattern recognition and signals, um, recogn- pattern recognition, how people are interacting with different things within the, the journey, but um, the signals that actually give you an indication of what they might do next. Uh, so then you can prepare because that's the hardest thing when you're working in real time. How do you prepare for the next step? Um, hopefully the, the predictive analytics and, and the signals that you see through all of this um, will influence um, and inform your you know, content or, or whatever the next engagement or interaction may be. And it may be on social media, it may not. Um, and then, you know, one of the other things, too, that, that Terry mentioned a lot about social media, but 
I was on a call earlier today, actually, and somebody made the recommendation. There was a question about, you know, if we're not customer-facing as a marketer, how do we how do we get insights into customer behavior? And the comment was really simple, and, and I thought it was really good to share here. Read comments in a blog. If there's a blog written about a product or written about um, your company, read the comments in the blog. People get very transparent these days, and um, that is a, a excellent way to be in front of your computer for 20, 25 minutes, scour some of the blogs that you've seen in the blogosphere around your company or product, and read the comments. People are giving you information in those comments. And then taking that that back as customer feedback also. Ryan, does this apply to, are you also referencing um, the Amazon product reviews, which seem very transparent to me, very, very, from the gut, right? Yeah, and and if... um, Absolutely. And Yelp review. All of the reviews in particular, but sometimes, um, you know, there, there's a, a, lot of, a lot of blog activity these days and, and even comments within blogs, which would be separate, than review, separate from reviews, but mm-hmm. uh, similar, they serve a similar purpose. So absolutely. Thank you. Craig, join us. Craig Borowski at Software Advice. What do you think? Well, uh, I, I like how Ryan mentioned the, the big data um, angle on all of this, because it's important to remember the sort of silver lining in the digital information age we're in uh, for companies, and that is that there is a wealth of information available, oftentimes in in strange places. Um, I I talked to a company a few weeks ago for a report I was writing that provides, uh, basically, it's analytics-assisted call routing, Um, and, and the way it works is you're a customer, you call into a call center for some customer service, and while you're calling in, their computer system is checking your phone number, looking up any sort of demographic information that's available, and then using that information in this big analytics engine to make some assumptions about your personality, about your preferences, and then it uses those assumptions to match you to a specific agent in that call center hmm. who has also taken a personality test and, and is shown to be the right agent to talk to you for any number of reasons. Um, but I thought it was really interesting to see how some companies are actually starting to implement all this talk of big data in some creative ways. And um, they're claiming great results as far as um, satisfaction scores and things after the customers are finished their conversations. Um, so I thought that was kind of a, a neat implementation of, of something we hear a lot about. Craig, it sounds to me like a commercial version of Match.com. Is uh, who's who's the <laughs> caller? Who's looking? And what are the what's the persona and the history and the track record of the customer service rep who might be in this this group group tank? Uh, who sh- whom should we match the caller? Very very interesting. Uh, Terry, anything you want to add on this one before I move to a different uh, section here, a different topic? Well, I just I just love that that Ryan was talking about people's uh, digital uh, digital sing- signals. It reminds me of this idea of body signals that that people put out and and through working with the data side of the business and, and data analysts as marketers, we can really start to read and, and understand the signals that people are coming out and that really excites me as well. 
Thank you very much. Ryan O'Neill, I'm looking at your notes, and we've covered a lot of material here already because we're having such a good open conversation here on our roundtable. But there's something here that caught my eye I'd like to bring up, talking about uh, on our theme today. Today's customer journey is based on the foundation of choice. Yes, they can opt any channel, anytime. And, and I think more important, even more important, is that they can change the journey anytime they decide to buy or research or get service on something. So it can't be uh, Bob Smith is always going to be going online and then he's going to maybe pick up the phone and call for customers. Bob can do it at any channel, anytime, as the mood strikes him, as his whatever he's doing in his life at that moment in time when the buying instinct hits him. So I'm looking at your notes here, Ryan, and you say strategies will include not only mobile, digital, social, self-service kiosk and retail, but will increasingly leverage networks like, and you say P2P, F2F, that's friend-to-friend, and B2B. So can you explain the P2P and F2F and anything else you think we need definitions for? Go ahead, Ryan. <laughs> sure. So, so P2P is, is uh, people-to-people or peer-to-peer. So that's, that's your traditional um, kind of referral marketing in a sense, where you, you have relationships, people are checking with their neighbor and checking with uh, their friend or their coworker or something like that. Um, friend to friend is actually um, something I, I just really kind of developed, I guess. I haven't seen it used before, but it's really the idea that um, the sharing economy is really developing this whole new engagement model where um, I, I read an article actually some time ago where people were able to, there's a technology that's being developed that allows people to share their, their um, internet service or their internet connection from their mobile phone. So we're struggling with how do we do wide, wide span um, Wi-Fi coverage in cities, mm-hmm. and some cities have actually gone through the effort of putting up all the technology, all the, the hardware to actually make Wi-Fi available anywhere in the city. This technology actually uses a network of cell phones of people who opt into this, and, any, and if there are, is a mass adoption of this, then they're actually you're actually able to get Internet service anywhere by literally sharing somebody else's service when you don't have service and vice versa, uh, offering your service when they don't have service. So it's this really interesting kind of idea that, you know, there is this friend-to-friend connection is what I'm calling it, where people are are open to sharing. And, you know, we've seen, you know, sharing um, uh, like, um, oh, I just lost the name of it. It's... um, Room sharing, where there's an open room. I can't think of the name. I'm sure Terry or Craig can think of it. Um, but you, but it's that idea that if I have something that's not currently being used, I'll I'll allow somebody else to use it, maybe for free or maybe for a fee. And then um, oh. B2B is your your uh, typical business to business networks, which can include stuff from like procurement networks or um, you know purchasing and and um, and uh, uh, utility networks and things like that. Ryan, were you thinking of spareroom.com or, um, let's see here, we have uh, New York Habitat, we have flatmates.com.au in Australia, and Airbnb, something Airbnb like that? Airbnb was the one. That, that was, was the one. I, I, yeah, that was the one. I keep thinking Uber in my head, but I knew that wasn't right. Um, yeah, Airbnb. So it, it okay, really good. is. It's, it's full utilization of resources. And what's interesting about that and why companies need to really pay attention to how, how do they address that is um, – that is something that's going to be outside of their four walls. So there's mm-hmm. a whole there's a whole market outside of their four walls. You can either fight it or you can learn how to participate in it. And I think that companies are going to become a, a lot more social from that perspective, uh, from a product and offering perspective, when they when they really start to adopt this concept that um, consumers a, a consumers 
the foundation of a consumer's ability to have choice is it's exponential moving forward. So how do we how do we address that? And, and as marketers, how do we create? And really, what it comes down to is customer experience. But how do we create a differentiator? And I talked about you know how far a company is in the maturity curve by their use of social media, for example, to respond to customer service issues. That that is going to be a defining factor for if a company is going to be successfully engaging with customers in the future or not, because, uh, you know, they can get it, literally they can get your product from a friend instead of from you paying for thank- a fee. Yep. Thank you. Craig, join us. What do you think? Um, well, to backtrack just a bit, uh, Bonnie, you brought up an interesting point earlier on, I think in response to something that Terry had said, and that was, um, Wondering whose job it is to keep track of mm-hmm. all this stuff, you know, especially when you have all these multiple platforms, multiple channels. Um, I read a stat recently, and it said that 65% of enterprises, so the largest size of companies, have already created a, a new position, uh, which they're calling a chief customer officer. Uh, I thought that was a, a pretty interesting addition to the C-suite executives. Um, and I think it's something that, we're going to see more small and medium-sized businesses look to, to follow suit in the future uh, once they realize that there, there really is a need for this role, this, this individual whose job it is to monitor all these disparate platforms and just sort of keep mm-hmm. an eye on how everything's going from the customer's point of view to make sure that the customer experience is everything it can be. Thank you. Terry, you want to join in on this one? We're, yeah, we are covering a lot of territory here. Talk to me. Yeah, I'd agree. I think the, the landscape just gets more complex every day, and, mm-hmm. and so you do need a, a, a defined role and, and even you know, a whole department to, to help address this in, in a different way than marketing is used to. And uh, you know, to, to Ryan's point, uh, consumers in, in some cases are creating their own new marketplaces for the purchasing and, and selling of goods, and, and that's a really new concept that we have to think about how to engage with customers on, on those platforms as well. So definitely a lot to do, but um, as, as Craig mentioned, uh, you know, I think the right companies are, are making uh, the right moves to put, put leadership in place to address this, uh, this changing marketplace. Thank you, Terry. I want to move to one of Terry's favorite words. I think it's favorite because she put it into her notes and said more on the word trust from part one. Terry asked the question, what happens in the brain when you have trust? Well, once you have it, everything else becomes easy. You want to relate that trust word to our topic today, Terry, of customer service journey, any way they want, anywhere they want. What's the, where does trust come in? Every step of the way, the very first one, or, or are you allowed to, to gain their trust somewhere in the middle and you'll still get the sale? Absolutely, it's uh, it's certainly important throughout the journey. Um, it, it but it is important that uh, you you build trust um, from the first interaction you have with someone, and uh, it's it's really important. I, Ryan mentioned at the beginning of uh, the show that um, there uh, that when you respond to someone on on social media. Uh, that, you know, Im- immediately you get some, um, you know, they see you as more reputable, and, and that's, that's trust being established. They, they see that you're responding to their needs, and that's going to a part of their brain that's giving them happy feelings, and it's releasing serotonin and um, oxytocin and dopamine, and, um, and that stays with them so that the next interaction you have with them or that the next bad review they see about your company 
um, that initial trust that you established with them is actually going to persuade them. So if they do come across a bad review, they'll weigh that against that, that happy moment they, they already had with your brand. And so, and, and uh, vice versa, if you had a negative experience with them, you, you didn't respond well to them on social media, um, and then the next experience you have with them, it's going to be harder to establish that trust. So it's really important throughout the journey, and, and every time you're having interaction with a customer, you really should be thinking about how... Uh, you're building trust and, and um, you know, how, how you're earning, really earning their trust and, and earning um, their attention. You definitely want that oxytocin moment as long as they're not kissing all of your sales associates or <laughs> blowing kisses over so moi, moi, moi. Ryan O'Neill, thoughts on building trust in this customer journey? What do you think? You know, I actually, I'm going to, I'm going to continue the conversation that, that Craig had also, and it's all related, but around the chief sure. customer officer, What's interesting is I'm really glad to see that 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 stat is actually available, and there's a that's certainly higher than I, I guess I was expecting, but that's a, it's a good indication. The thing that's interesting to me is that the innovation you kind of look at at a company and where the innovation comes from, and you know in the in the older days we would say uh, innovation came from the internal what's well, chief technology officer or the internal innovation team or, or something like that. That's where that was the product teams. They were driving innovation. The future is really around the customer, and the innovation is going to be happening at the customer point, which is why you're starting to see this chief customer officer, because now there's, there's a strategy that has to include innovation, and the innovation is going to be led by the customer. So there's somebody that, that really needs to understand what that looks like. And it re- reminds, me, reminds me of this old phrase, if we build it, they will come. We, you know, I'm in a technology mm-hmm company, and that, that's probably well-known for others that are in technology companies or product companies. Um, and I think the future is going to be, if they come, we will build it. And I think that, you know, we, we have to really, if you're really going to put that customer first, then you have to really adopt that idea that we might not know what the customer is going to need. And co-innovation, that's something um, that, that is becoming more popular now, is going to be a critical part of that. And, um, you know, with technology like 3D printing. I was in the UPS store the other day and um, they have a 3D printer and I was, I've read about them, but I've never seen them in, in person. And, and um, I was quite <laughs> enamored by this thing. And um, looking at that saying, you know what, the next birthday the ne- mm-hmm. for one of the kids, I'm going to go send them a 3D file and they're going to print the, the toy. They're going to print the, the gift nice. for my kid. And how interesting is that? It could be anything, anything I dream up. That's right. The price point is coming down. By the way, I, I uh, produce and host a TV show on Long Island called Something to Talk About. And about a year ago, a friend of mine who's a retired science teacher in the middle school was working with a couple of guys who were working on 3D printers. And they brought a printer to my TV studio. And they showed it how it worked. And we saw the patterns and the plastic. Fascinating. And I actually have a little pencil cup holder here on my desk that came from one of their 3D printers. Just fascinating. But you won't even have to just send it to them. You'll be able to just own up 3D printer of your own and do it in the basement or the backyard or wherever you are. So I think that point is coming too. Uh, I'm, I think we'd like to take a break because I want to give you all a break. You've had really good, long, deep conversation here in our roundtable. I'm speaking, of course, about Craig Borowski at Software Advice, Terry Sun at White Rhino, and Ryan O'Neill at SAP. I love doing a part two show like this because we're all so familiar and the thoughts are just rolling. We're covering so much good territory here. I have a feeling there might be a part three in our future, but I can't promise that yet. We're going to take a quick break. 
and when we come back, I'll be asking Craig Borowski to start off our crystal ball predictions part of the show, our closing part. And Craig, I'll ask you, what do you think about any or all of the topics we've covered today in our discussion of modern customer journey, having it their way in the year 2020 or any future time, could be even 10 minutes from now or tomorrow night that you see in the future. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back. You don't want to miss these predictions. I know they're going to be great. Michael, out. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. A global revolution is taking place, shaking the very foundation upon which all enterprises are built. This revolution is led by today's digitally empowered consumers and commercial buyers. They don't see our companies through a channel-focused lens. They look for and expect one experience, irrespective of the channel. Join us to explore insights, information, and ideas from sales, customer service, and marketing experts around the globe. Let's embrace the challenge of engaging customers in this new age. The Customer Edge with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. listening to The Customer Edge with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to The Customer Edge with Game Changers. Here we are. Our topic is Modern Customer Journey, Having It Their Way, Part 2. I'm going to tell a little story to my audience that I was just sharing with the panel on the break. I I interviewed a gentleman who is a a coach to retailers on how to improve their face-to-face in-store brick-and-mortar customer service experience. And he was saying that studies are starting to show that when you buy a lower-priced item, your expectations of excellent customer service go down because you're figuring, well, it didn't cost that much. What do I expect from this kind of a store or this kind of a department? But a lot of these younger buyers who are getting this into this mindset may become part of the retail landscape on the seller's side at some point in the future, and they will not understand why you need great customer service all the time for every product, and they'll bring their lower expectations to their execution of their job. Interesting point. Just a quick, uh, Craig, is this a surprise to you? Well, that is interesting, definitely. Um, You know, and it, I think, speaks back to the, the larger issue of the general customer experience. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as looking forward, too, that was that was one thing that's definitely on my notes here. It's on everyone's radar, and it's sort of optimizing the customer experience. Um, I don't mean to throw too many numbers at you, but I, I read a Gartner study recently, and it said that 89% of companies plan to compete primarily on the basis of customer experience by 2016. Mm. What that means is, yeah, they're, they're, they're looking at customer experience as their number one offering. That's, that's wow. essentially the product they're offering uh, compared to their competitors, um, which I, I thought was very high but also very interesting. 
Um, you know, Very really interesting. Lucky us as customers. So, Craig, now <laughs> I task you with being the first on the crystal ball part of the show. So what do you see in the future? I'm going to give you exactly two minutes. Craig Borowski, crystal ball predictions. How far in the future and what do you see? Okay. Uh, I'll go five five to ten years, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I sort of addressed the first point, and that's that customer experience is really going to be a focus of many, many companies um, it's becoming a, a key differentiator. It's what sets companies apart from their competitors. Uh, so it's something that a lot of effort is going into. Um, it's not a, a simple process. You know, the customer experience can mean many different things depending on the company, the customer, or what stage of the customer journey they're contacting you. Um, one common theme that's important now that I expect to continue being important is minimizing customer effort. So basically making it easier for customers to get the information they need or get the service they need, making it as easy as possible to them. Um, we found that that's really, it's, it's probably the primary factor in, in what determines how happy a customer is after uh, an interaction especially with something like customer service or support. Um, And to that end, uh, self-service channels Mm -hmm. like FAQ pages or knowledge bases that you see online, uh, these have been growing in popularity for a long time. Uh, There's something that consumers really do appreciate. They like being able to find their own answers to their own questions um, because it's, it's easy to do generally. Uh, compared to, say, calling a company and navigating through their phone tree and then waiting on hold. Um, self-service is, is definitely a huge, huge area where we expect to see a lot of growth moving forward. Um, another one would be omni-channel communication. You know, we mentioned this a few times today, how important it is to be there wherever your customers are whenever they have questions. So if they want to live chat you from a mobile phone, make sure your live chat platform supports mobile. Uh, If they want to complain to you on Facebook, make sure you're paying attention so you can address those complaints as quickly as possible. I'm going to say thank you, Craig. I need to save time for Terry. Terry, we're down to four minutes before the close. It really got away from us. My fault. Terry, son, give me uh, 60 seconds. What's your prediction? Sure. So I actually predict in probably the next five years that we as marketers will see the end of registration forms. Uh, Ryan Mm. talked earlier about how people are telling us a lot about themselves through these digital signals that they they have, and and we can use this data um, to to really understand their behavior and interactions to the point where we don't need to ask them what their title is to deliver the right content to them. And and when they're ready to buy, they'll they'll engage us. So I I hope it's soon, but I think, again, in the next five years, I, I think we'll start to see registration forms completely disappear from marketing strategies. Wow, that's a big one. Thank you, Terry. Ryan O'Neill at SAP, what do you see in the crystal ball and how far in the future? I'm thinking five years, um, we're going we're gonna to have to see a lot of this movement. Um, the first one is that customers will expect to be able to consume products and services on an as-needed basis for only the amount of time that they actually want to use it, and they expect to pay for only the portion that they used. So um, I talked about this in, in part one, but the transaction-based um, engagement, the transaction-based um, pricing and, and uh, product delivery is 
is, uh, I think, going to be um, a de facto standard. And that means no strings attached, which from a customer service or a customer um, loyalty perspective means marketers have to become a lot more, um, I say, creative, for lack of a better term, on how we design and, and execute uh, customer loyalty and, and how do we continue to provide um, the service to, for customers to come back. Um, the other thing is, is uh, building a customer relationship will take time and require careful use of technology and the inputs that I talked about before, customer feedback through social channels or through um, a da- you know, just uh, big data type of models. Um, and uh, that will determine the point at which the relationship is mature and open to expansion. So we talk about, okay, we, we want to satisfy that immediate need, but then we, need to go, we want to go beyond that and, and have them as a recurring customer. So that expansion is going to be important. But to Terry's point, trust is going to be the critical point of that. Um, we, there has to be enough trust for us to be able to move forward. What's interesting is that trust is based on the very first – it starts with the very first interaction. And for every interaction – it really is based on, did you solve my problem today? If you can't mm-hmm. solve the problem today, then you don't get a chance to do anything tomorrow. So I, I think that that's going to be a, a really important factor for uh, five years from now. Thank you, Ryan. Great insights. Thank you all. Time for me to do my predictions. I predict that tomorrow at 10 a.m. Eastern, I'll be back on air here on the Business Channel with the future of business with Game Changers. And I can predict with certain assurance, a thousand percent actually, that our topic will be the importance of simple design. Everybody in your company can participate and make that happen. Next Tuesday, we'll be back with Digital World with Game Changers in the morning. And at noon, we'll be back with Business Innovations launching a brand new series. Uh, Wednesday, I'll be back with Coffee Break. And next Thursday, Internet of Things with Game Changers. Craig Borowski, thank you so much for coming back. Terry Sun, thank you again. Ryan O'Neill, thank you. Wonderful conversation. I really appreciate all of your insights and sharing so beautifully. Lana Smith, thanks for sponsoring the series and the great tweets. You should see what Lana's been tweeting. Go to hashtag. SAP Radio and Stephen Caulfield at Software Advice working with Craig. Thank you for the tweets. Michael and the Business Channel team, you rock. I've got 30 seconds to give my call to action. Guess what? Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? You know the drill. Go out and be a game changer today. Bonnie D. Graham signing off for another edition of The Customer Edge with Game Changers. We'll be back tomorrow with Future of Business. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to The Customer Edge with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham on Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.